God, we do ask that you'd be filling up Pastor Gary this morning, that you'd be speaking through him, and that through him, many uh, people in Madagascar would come to join the family of faith. Would you pray for us this morning? You prepare our hearts so we'd receive what you have for us in this story, which you preserved for thousands of years so that we could hear it this morning. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the middle of a series right now. If you uh, are just jumping in, it's your first time, you can go online and catch up with us. But right now it's a series called God's Grand Story. And we're kind of traversing the Bible in, in series, starting in the book of Genesis, and we're learning how God works all things to accomplish his purposes in this grand story. And we said that Genesis is broken up into four main events followed by four key people. And one of the themes that I've noticed in Genesis is how God seems to be having a heart, a bent to want to bless mankind. He constantly seems to be wanting to bless mankind. And mankind seems constantly at work to try and opt out of the blessing. It's like this like catch a mole where God's trying to hand to him and you're like playing hot potato. But it's a blessing God's trying to give us. It starts with creation. God creates this beautiful Garden of Eden. And he says, I've created it so that Adam and Eve would enjoy it. And very shortly into that time, Adam and Eve opt out of the blessing. They sin. And so we have the second key event with the fall. And with the fall, all sorts of junk happens into the world. But God still has a heart to bless. And he said, okay, I want you to bless. I want to bless you as you fill the earth. Well, as Adam and Eve start to fill the earth, what happens is there is a lot of evil. There's so much evil. Mankind seems continuously thinking about only evil things. And it gets so bad that God is forced to send a flood. So the third key event is a flood where God wipes out all the evil in the world. He preserves one family, one family who loves him, Noah and his family. And as they emerge from the ark, as they emerge from that flood experience, God's like, okay, we're again gonna try and get you to a place where I can bless you. Noah, I want you to lead your family and I want to get my blessing to mankind. But again, mankind opts out of it. And instead of filling the earth and following what God has said to do, they start building a big tower. And Gary shared this a couple weeks ago. We talked about the Tower of Babel, where mankind said, we want to make our name great instead of God's name great. And as this tower goes up, God's like, what is it going to take for me to get my blessing? So he, at that moment, in Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, he disinherits the nations and he sends languages and he, and he disperses them across to all little G gods instead of them being a child of the great king. And God starts over again, but this time he's going to try something different. He's going to try and create a new people, people that did not exist before. He's going to create a brand new people, and it's going to start with one man whose name is Abram, who he's going to change his name to Abraham. And God's going to speak these words to this man in Genesis 12, verse 2 to 3. I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Now, why is he going to do this? So that you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse in this last sentence, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, God's goal is to get the blessing out, and his new plan is he wants to do it through Abraham, and then Abraham in turn will be a blessing to the nation. So Abraham is central to God's story in this moment. Well, Abraham and Sarah have a son. 
His name is Isaac. And Gary shared that story recently where Isaac becomes the recipient of the blessing. When Abraham dies, the blessing doesn't die with Abraham. It travels from Abraham to Isaac. And Isaac is now the recipient of the blessing. And Isaac is the central player in God's story to bring blessing to the whole world. But we have a problem. Isaac married Rebekah, and they experienced the same fertility problems that Abraham and Sarah experienced. So here we have Isaac and Rebekah, but we have no children. And without children, you can't have a nation. We're going to pick up the story in Genesis 25, starting in verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. Now, I do want to give Isaac a pat on the back at this moment because his dad modeled some shenanigans that I'm glad Isaac didn't decide to try when his dad was having fertility problems that caused all sorts of headaches. Isaac tried something different. He went to the Lord and he prayed. And when he prayed, he said, God, this is your blessing. This is your promise. So it's your job to fix this. In Genesis 25, 21b says, the Lord answered him and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. Now we won't find this out for a few more verses, but it is interesting to note. Do you know how long Isaac had to trust God with this prayer? How long was it from the time he got married to the time that God gave him children? We find out later it was 20 years, 20 years of trusting God, of waiting. He was 60 It's amazing. I think God wanted to show Isaac that he was in control and he would do this his way. But this pregnancy Rebecca had was not a smooth pregnancy. It was not peaceful and serene. It was not gentle. Verse 21 says, But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is so, why am I in this condition? So she went to inquire of the Lord. God did not just give her one. She gave her two. And they were wrestling and they were hitting each other and they were like head. I don't know what was going on in there. I've never had any people in my body. Men don't get to have people in their body. It is a superpower that God has given just women to have a person grow and pop out of you. Um, it's amazing. But Rebecca had to have known this is different. Like I've, I've seen pregnancies. Uh, this is way different. And she said, Lord, I don't know what is going on, but there is craziness happening in my womb. And she gets kudos. Because when she doesn't understand something, where does she go? She goes in prayer to the Lord. I wish she continued that habit all her life. But at least in this moment, she inquires the Lord, what's going on? Verse 23, the Lord responds to her with this prophecy. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now that's different, because normally... The older's in charge, and the younger is less powerful. So this is a reversal. And I don't know how good the communication was between Isaac and Rebecca. I don't know if they went to Love and Respect on Sunday nights, and they talked great together. I don't know if they had that class back then. I have no idea. But what I do know is if God told me something that was a prophecy about our kids, I would share it with my wife. And so I am pretty sure Rebecca told her husband that something different is going to happen with these two children and the two peoples that they will become. Finally, the day the twins will be born arrives. This is the first of three key interactions with these two boys. 
Verse 24, when her days leading to the delivery were at an end, I'm sure she was grateful, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. They were wrestling right at the end. I mean, I cannot imagine. And the second one was named Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So even at the end, Jacob and Esau are wrestling. And Esau was the older one. But God's prophecy is that that would mean that Esau and Esau's people would serve the younger one, who is Jacob. Now, as these boys grew up, they could not have been more different. Very different. Same DNA, twins at birth. I mean, they probably look somewhat a little bit like, but I don't know what's going on. But they were different because God weaves us in the womb a certain way, and we have a certain bent. Let's read about how these boys are described as they grow up. Verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a civilized man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So Esau was good at killing stuff. He was good with knives and all the hunting things. He was kind of wild. He was kind of out in the woods a lot. He would just go off and come back whenever he wanted to. He wouldn't take time to pitch a tent. He would just sleep whenever he wanted. And Jacob was a little more, as this translation says, civilized. That word is kind of a broad term. But I want you to notice that it's a very complimentary term. This is the same term that is describing Job in Job 1.1, where it says he is blameless before God. It's a very complimentary term. The, the writer of Genesis is signaling that Jacob has superior character to his brother. And this is going to be showing over and over again in the story. But Isaac loves his boy Esau. There's just something about that boy. He just loves him. And Rebecca loves her boy Jacob. Now, I've heard some people say Jacob is kind of a mama's boy. He's always in the kitchen, wore aprons. I think that is grossly unfair to Jacob. I think Jacob was absolutely a solid dude. Um, but I do want to say this favoritism that was openly displayed to these boys poured gasoline on a rivalry that would cause tremendous heartache later. It is not right that Isaac had this overwhelming favor for one boy over the other. And it's not right that Rebecca did the same for Jacob. So we're going to come to the second key interaction between Jacob and Esau, and that's in chapter 25, 29 to 30. So when Jacob had cooked stew one day, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a mouthful of that red stuff there, for I am exhausted. Therefore, he was called Edom, which kind of means red by name. So I can imagine the scene. I mean, this probably wasn't the home camp where Rebecca was or mom would have fed the boy, right? So this was probably, Jacob was off somewhere. I don't know if he was at one of the shepherd encampments and he was checking the spreadsheet for dad of how many sheep they had or what he was doing. But while he was there, he was cooking some stew. And he's like, man, man's got to eat. Why not like not settle? And so he's been slow cooking this all day and all the flavors are mixing perfectly and it is smelling great. And he is there and he sees his brother Esau walk to him. And Esau is saying, man, I'm hungry. I'm exhausted. I haven't caught anything. Uh, would you just give me some stew? I need food. And Jacob sees an opportunity. In verse 31, Jacob says, first, sell me your birthright. Now, we need to understand a few things because we don't have this birthright thing as much in our society. But the birthright is exactly what it sounded like. It's the right you get by being born first. 
And you're like, it was like three seconds, or maybe even less because he had the hand on the heel. It was three seconds, but it mattered. Whoever got born first was the recipient of the firstborn title and the firstborn status. And that meant that you got some things. You got double portion of your dad's inheritance. So we got dad Isaac, he's got two boys. That means the older boy gets two-thirds. The younger boy gets one-third. So there's a, there's a monetary piece to this. But it's not just that. Isaac is no normal dad. He is the dad who has been prophesied of a certain people will be blessed through all the nations of the world through this people. So the second part of this is whoever is going to receive the blessing will become the new patriarch of the family. He will be the recipient from Abraham to Isaac to someone. And Jacob is like, hey, you want some food? You want some soup? I want your birthright. Let's see what Esau does. Esau says, look, I'm about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? Esau is like, man, I I don't know if I can make it. I'm real hungry. I took my kids to karate class a couple weeks ago, and it was a later class, and so it was like 5.30 at night. So we're driving in the car, and all of a sudden, I hear my nine-year-old scream. I mean, loud scream. And I'm like trying not to drive off the road. And he's like, Dad, I didn't get a snack. And I'm like, okay, so he probably had lunch because my wife loves my kid. And so he had lunch. It's 5.30. It's going to be a little later dinner than normal. And he is freaking. I was like, I can't make it. I got to have a snack. I've got to eat something. And so we start scrambling. I'm driving, so I'm making sure I don't run off the road. My guys, can you look around? Because we are not that family that clings out the minivan real good after each trip. So if you're that kind of family that always is vacuuming, that's not us. I'm thinking there has got to be some nuggets from two weeks ago somewhere in the car. And so I'm like, look around for a granola bar. I mean, look around for something. And I mean, everyone's looking in pouches. We finally find our granola bar. And so we break it up and I divide half goes to the one who's screaming and half goes to Daniel, who's not screaming, which I love. And I said, I'm not gonna show favoritism, but you guys get this snack. It's one bite, you will survive. Amazing miracle, they survived. They made it to dinner time. No one died. I mean, it was, it was God's blessing on our life. But I'm reading the story. I'm thinking, what self-control do you have, dude? Like, you're willing to trade this massive thing because you're so hungry you can't handle it. I'm thinking, you're acting like my nine-year-old. Verse 33, Jacob says, first swear to me, Esau. And so Esau swore an oath to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, all you can eat, and he ate and he drank and he got up and went on his way. Now notice he didn't eat and drink. Now that I'm feeling better, can we like renegotiate that? Now that I'm feeling better, hey, can I just give you like something different? He's like, no, good trade. Good, good deal. I'm good. I'm satisfied. I'm, I'm in. And he goes on his way. And therefore, the author of Genesis says, and Esau despised his birthright. I want to give you a word picture, which I read from Dennis Prager, which kind of helped me understand a little bit maybe what's going on here. Imagine you have a dad who has a priceless Shakespeare collection. I mean, these are originals. We've got Henry V. We've got Othello. We've got originals. And he has them in a room. They're all displayed beautifully. And anytime the son wants to go in, he can go see his dad's collection, right? And imagine his son, the older one, really digs sports, 
loves sports. I mean, he's all into football, and uh, I mean, he's trying to like watch football on the weekends. Doesn't really dig the reading thing very much. Doesn't really enjoy reading. Kind of not his deal. Never has actually gone into Dad's Shakespeare collection room. Never cared. And imagine the younger son grows up, and the younger son loves literature. The younger son loves prose. The younger son can quote the St. Crispin's Day speech word for word from Henry V. And anytime mom will listen, he'll do it. Imagine this younger son one day realizes the older son just doesn't care. He says, okay, I got a deal for you, brother. I'm going to give you the dinner of your life. I'm going to give you a filet mignon steak, baked potato, fresh asparagus. I'm going to do it all for you. In exchange for when dad dies, I want the Shakespeare collection. And the older son's like, sure, works for me. I don't care. I'm not into that. I'm not sure the younger son is doing anything wrong here. The younger son is valuing something that inside of him he's hungry for and values that it seems like the older son doesn't care about. Now, in the next part of the story, everyone does everything wrong. I just wanted to say this part of the story Man, I, I, really, I really get where Jacob is coming from. And, and Jacob really is a hot mess. I mean, at the end of chapter 26, he's 40 years old, and he goes and marries a couple of women who do not love God, who serve idols, who cause constant headaches for mom and dad. And, and in verse 34, I'm just a constant grief from Esau's decisions of the way he is living his life. He didn't value the calling of God on him. He valued what he wanted when he wanted it right now. The third key interaction between Jacob and Esau is Genesis 27, starting in verse 1. Now, it came about when Isaac was old. This is before trifocals. His eyes were too dim to see. And he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. Now, notice the author does call Esau the older son instead of the firstborn son. I think that's just a signal that the writer's saying this transaction with Jacob was a valid one. The title had passed. The author is signaling that, and, and it's really not appropriate to call Esau that anymore. Verse 2, Isaac said, Behold, I am old and do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field to hunt game for me. Prepare a delicious meal for me such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat so my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebecca, the wife, has big ears, and she hears what's going on, and she's like, oh, no, you don't. My son is the one who's the recipient of the prophecy. My favorite son has the birthright, and you're about to give it to your favorite son. Well, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. So Rebecca comes up with a scheme, and what she decides to do is she tells Jacob, go get some meat, and I'm going to cook it up. And I'm going to cook it just right, just like Jacob loves. I'm going to make it, and I want you to go in and pretend to be your brother. Now, your brother's pretty hairy, so you got to put on some, like, hairy stuff, like some skins, pretend like you're hairy. you got to smell real bad your brother doesn't shower. He doesn't know how. So you got to get that stuff on there. And, and when you go to your dad, pretend like you're Esau so you can get the blessing. And let's see if he pulls it off. Verse 20, verse 18, then he came to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And this is where Jacob starts to deceive him. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Come now, sit and eat of my game so you may bless me. 
And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And Jacob responds, because the Lord your God made it come to me. Just a note to self, keep God out of all your lies. This is not a thing to go and just like claim that God did something for you. God did not do. Um, This is bad on all the levels. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close so I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. He's cluing in, something's not right, but he's not quite sure. So Jacob came close to his father Isaac and he touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. And he also brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him. Now, as I said before, everyone does everything wrong here. There is no reason Isaac should have given this blessing to Esau or tried to. Esau didn't deserve it. His character didn't reflect it. He had opted out anytime he could. There's no reason he should have done that. There's no reason Rebecca should have schemed behind Isaac's back, purposely deceived, purposely caused her son to lie. This is all messed up stuff. There's no reason Esau should have come in and pretended later to be the firstborn. There's no reason when when Jacob told this plan to Isaac, Isaac should have said, yeah, I realize it's really not mine anymore. I sold that. That's really my brother's place now. But Isaac's like, sure, why not? And Jacob should not have gone along with this plan. He should not have lied about what God did. He should not have lied about who he was. Everyone is doing the wrong stuff. And when Esau finds out what happened, Esau is a mad dude. He is a mad dude who's good with knives. And he says, man, I am very angry. All my emotions are always going on all the time. And as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. And he makes sure people know it. And so Rebecca, to save her son Jacob's life, she sends him off and says, you got to leave you got to go to Laban's place because you can't be here when Isaac dies. And I think Rebecca thought that may have been just like a couple days or something. I don't know who, what she was thinking, but they would never see each other alive again, this mother and her son. And there's all sorts of stuff that goes wrong in this story. I mean, all the deception that Jacob sowed, he reaped in spades. Like when he goes to Laban's house, do you know how many times Laban cheats him financially? 10 times, 10 times he cheats him. And we're not even talking about the problem with his wives and swapping last minute and all sorts of stuff. He gets cheated and deceived by a family member. And when Jacob eventually comes back, he reconciles with Esau, but the descendants of each one doesn't really reconcile nearly as well as Jacob and Esau do. But one thing Jacob had going for him. Yeah, he did the wrong thing a lot. Yeah, he was part of a dysfunctional family. But he was hungry for God's blessing. He was hungry for the promises of God to be in his life and pass through him to his children's life. In fact, later um, in Hebrews eleven twenty one, this is what's described of Jacob. 
says, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Jacob had a meandering root as he followed God, but he ended well. He ended blessing Joseph, blessing Joseph's sons. He ended passing on. And, and as you go down the descendants of Jacob, as that blessing trickled down through the sons, it eventually arrives with a baby born in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus. And that prophecy of how all the nations of the world would be blessed through Jacob comes true. Now, Esau's descendants did not fare nearly as well. Esau opting out of God's blessing did not go well. In fact, they were called the Edomites, and they would be constant uh, rivals and struggles with Israel. And much later, during that same time as Jesus, there was another man who was an Edomite whose name was Antipater, and he would become friends with a Roman named Julius Caesar. And Antipater and his son would come to rule Judea, and his son's name was Herod the Great. And Herod the Great would hear about how God wanted to bless the nations by sending the Messiah. And he so wanted to stop it that he ordered the death of all the babies in Bethlehem to prevent that blessing from getting through from a descendant of Jacob. So why would God give us this story? You know, why would God give us all the unvarnished story of Jacob and Esau? You know, if you were thinking that, uh, these old stories are only perfect people in the Bible. This will disabuse you of that. But I think part of the reason God wanted us to know this story is to ask us the question, what are you hungry for? And some of you are thinking lunch because it's lunchtime, right? Yes, I get that. You're hungry for lunch. But what are you hungry for spiritually? Are you hungry for the blessings of God in your life? Do you hunger for it enough to pursue it? to value it, to care about it. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the rest of the things will be provided to you. See, Esau had it backwards. He's like, I want to get whatever I can get now in the moment that makes me happy right now. And then if other blessings happen, that's awesome. That's not the way this works. That's not how this has ever worked in God's world. No, God says, seek his kingdom first, hunger for his righteousness, and then all the blessings will happen to us. You know, what's the blessing that God wants to give you that you're in danger of trading for something that is not valuable, something that doesn't last? You know, I think about, you know, of course, the greatest blessing is salvation. You know, some of us have, have encountered people or maybe even this room who are like, yeah, I love God, but I really don't want to change anything. I don't want to pursue him. And if I get to my life and he accepts me heaven, awesome. And I'm like, no, God wants you to be his child. He wants to have a calling on your life. Don't uh, put him out as the add-on at the end of your life. Put him in as king of your life now. But there's also all sorts of blessings that God wants to give us. You know, I, I think as a life groups pastor, I hear all the time, you know, man, I want to have relationships with people. I want to experience the blessing of fellowship, but I'm kind of busy. I got a lot of stuff going on. So I'll just like not make time for that. And I just say, man, there is a blessing to being known and being encouraged by other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, there's a, a blessing to 
being able to live as a man of God in purity. You know, there's so many times that your enemy is saying, hey, I've got this little momentary pleasure for you, and I want to hand that to you, and instead I want to take your calling and the blessing that God has for you in healthy relationships with the opposite sex. I mean, there's so many places the enemy is full of temptations where he's like, I want to trade out what God is wanting to offer, the good things from the Father lights. And he's wanting to trade them out for something that's more counterfeit, something that doesn't last. You know, Gary challenged us last week. I was thinking about this, you know, uh, related to hunger. He said, okay, the Holy Week, we're going to have a prayer meeting that night. And as we come into that prayer meeting, we're going to be praying for God's revival. We're praying that, that through this church, through this people, we would be a blessing. We would be used by him to bring many into the kingdom of God. So we're, we're planning on this, this prayer meeting Sunday night. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, as I'm thinking about this, there's going to be a blessing to be a part of that. There's going to be a blessing. But, but some of us will have that decision, like we'll get home, like, ah, oh, I took my shoes off. You know, I can either binge watch Netflix or I can come to this prayer meeting. And it's not that it's sinful to binge watch Netflix every once in a while. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there is a, a hunger God wants to give us for his things, for his blessings. And we have to hunger that. We have to pursue that. That week, Gary said, is challenges for all of us to take a 24-hour period of time. Just one day. You can do whatever you want. You do 7 p.m. to 7 p.m. You get to pick whatever you want. But just one day of fasting and prayer. The reason we want to do that is because Jesus said, when you fast, because Jesus knew that if we will fast, there's a blessing associated with fasting and praying. And so the heart is we want as a church fast and pray for one day during Holy Week to increase the spiritual power and receive whatever God wants to bless us with that day. And my question is how many of us will be tempted that day to trade whatever that blessing is for McDonald's Big Mac? And some of you are thinking, that's gross. But some of us have done that. We're like, I'm starving. I'm going to go through that drive-thru. And some of us are like, I love Big Macs. So um, there's some of each in our, in our congregation. But my encouragement to you today is to value God's blessings. Be like Jacob, where you see that, that blessing of your dad and say, I want that for me. I want to pass that blessing down to my descendants. I want to pass that blessing on not just to my family, but I want to be able to mirror those blessings to the world. That's my heart. That's what I want in my life. So as we close, I want to invite all you guys to stand. We're going to pray that God would increase the hunger for him, the hunger for his blessings. We would not take any cheap counterfeit trades from the enemy in this pursuit. Before I pray, I just want to encourage you, if you've been coming here a while and you're looking for a place to connect and but you don't know where to do that, we're going to have a connection corner over there in the, the corner. If you came and you got some stuff you want prayer for, we're going to have some elders down here in front. Come forward, receive some prayer. If you're brand new to the church, I'm Pastor Jonathan. I would love to meet you right over there. I got a gift for you this morning. I'd love to hear a little of your story. I had a guy, the first service who came to the welcome area, and he said, yeah, I made this deal with God that if he got me transportation, I would come to church. It's funny, next, next week he got transportation. And so said, I'm honoring my deal. So all sorts of deals God will make as his pursuit of trying to bless you. You never know what it is going to be. Let's pray this morning. Let's all bow our heads. Dear God, we all have times where we hunger for things of this world more than you. 
And we confess that today, but I ask right now that you would be increasing the volume of our hunger for your blessings, for your name, for your relationship, for your voice, that we would care more about having that in our life than any other thing. We believe that promise from Jesus when he said to seek first his kingdom. And as we seek it, we would trust that every good and perfect gift that you have for us would flow out of that seeking. We would not doubt you for a minute. We would not doubt your goodness. We would not doubt your character. But we would just have arms open saying, we don't want to opt out of a single blessing you have for us. We want it all. Because that is your generous heart towards us. We are so grateful to be your kids. And we are looking forward to the day where we'll be reunited in heaven together for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.